Hey. Let me, sorry, let me get my things in order. Mm. I, um, we'll get there in a minute. So my name is Jeremy. Uh, there's a certain level of awkwardness around someone you don't know uh, talking to you. So I thought maybe I'd just, for the, for the folks here that don't know me, um, give an, a brief life history, maybe like 30 or 40 minutes of what the Lord has done since September the 8th, 1983, uh, the year of our Lord. Um, so <laughs> just kidding. I, uh, I've been a pastor in Lexington since, um, since I graduated college in 2005. Thanks, Chuck. Um, and uh, I'm just gonna, before we really get going, sorry. That's good. Um, I graduated uh, from UK and, and started uh, working in campus ministry. Uh, did that for a while and uh, ended up meeting my, my wife there who's uh, somewhere in the back with one of our, our five children, and uh, um, ended up going to seminary and, and pastoring a couple churches around Lexington, St. Luke, uh, UMC, and, and um, have, uh, have, have done some interesting things in homes. And then uh, a few years back, uh, I ended up on staff in, in this building, a different church, Southern Acres, and um, we, we were, I, was, I was here on staff when things kind of got wild. I know a lot of you guys were, were a part of that, too. Uh, and so at the, the beginning of this year, we were praying about, you know, just like what the Lord had for us and, and what we were, uh, what, what was coming in, in 2021, uh, the year of our Lord. And uh, we, we heard very clearly that we need to start coming to King's Church. And man, I was really conflicted. This, this building uh, has a lot of really amazing memories for me. I've just seen God do uh, some incredible stuff here, uh, but also have experienced a lot of hurt and, and betrayal uh, here as well. And so, um, you know, I was just like, man, we, come on, like, surely not. And uh, the Lord just made it really clear. Uh, and so we started uh, coming here in, in February. Uh, I had connected with Brad um, a while back, a couple, maybe a year or so ago, two years ago. And uh, he's just a great guy, um, just honor him in his absence. But uh, he just is, is so humble. And, um, man, I, I just, I find when uh, humility is present, the Lord can do really incredible things. And so, um, man, I just, I just really uh, love Brad's heart, love Brad's vision. Of course, gotten to hang out with, with Chuck and Sasha and, and um, know a lot of you guys. And so, uh, definitely, we're, we're excited to be here at King's Church. Uh, it hasn't been that bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Oh man, we're gonna we're gonna look in the book of um, Isaiah, but don't turn there now. Uh, just hold that thought. Um, I just want to turn there, um, just to be ready. Uh, Isaiah six. So we're gonna look at Isaiah six, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, oh. I was going to say this too. So, um, a, a few years back, 2014, my I have an older brother. He's a big he's a big man, uh, and he started a, a bourbon distillery in Bourbon County where we grew up. Bourbon County, of course, is the the namesake of 
um, the spirit bourbon. And a, a couple years ago, uh, his partner wanted kind of out of the business. And so my dad and I um, started talking to him about that. And uh, my wife and I started praying about it. We felt like the Lord said, buy out his business partner. So we like sold a house that we had, a rental house, and um, bought into this bourbon distillery. And so uh, for the last like year and a half, ever since COVID started, I've been um, working in, in my family's distillery. And uh, I feel like that's such a Kentucky thing, right? Like it's a the only the only career move that the place that's available is in Kentucky, right? Where you can go from like pastor to um, making making whiskey. But it's been really neat. The Lord's just doing all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, you know, as, as families can be, our, our family is, is complicated and has some uh, some tension. I, the Lord has just done some really cool things, kind of bringing our family back together. I get to go to work every day with my big brother. My dad is retired now, but he comes in a couple times a week, and so all of us get to hang out together. Um, and it's been a ton of fun, uh, so I just wanted you guys to know um, I make bourbon all day and somehow figured out how to get paid uh, to drink whiskey. Um, I, I may be an alcoholic, I don't know. Uh, just kidding, I'm not. Pray, pray for me, though. Um, and seriously, uh, I would say uh, my wife and I have uh, five kids now, and uh, the, our youngest child, uh, we actually, the Lord sort of gave us a series of weird encounters and um, we did a thing that I just didn't have any idea about. But any given point in time, there's about 600 or 700,000 embryos uh, in a freezer in the United States. And most of those are created through um, in vitro fertilization. And so, you know, when people want to get pregnant, they can't. They have a lot of uh, embryos created and then they implant, you know, as many as they want. And then sometimes there's a lot left over. So science is, you know, kind of far advanced our ethics. Uh, and, and so no one really knows what to do. Some of the embryos are destroyed. Obviously, a lot of people don't believe that those embryos are humans. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my wife and I really started praying into that. And so the Lord led us to do embryo adoption. And so uh, our little one-year-old girl that was running around here um, was, was one of those embryos, the first one that we adopted. And she was in a freezer for seven years. And so she's actually as old as my eight-year-old, which if you really think about for a long time, will make your head hurt. Um, but we're actually leaving tomorrow to go get embryo number two. So yeah, very excited about that. But the, 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 most, um, like the most dangerous part of the process is when they thaw the embryo out. Uh, and so I would love for you guys uh, just to keep us in prayer tomorrow as we travel and um, on Tuesday and Wednesday as they kind of do that thawing process and then implant the embryo. And uh, what we're hoping for is, is, is to come back with a, a baby in my wife's belly. So, hey, there's my wife. Everybody say hi, Jenna. So Jenna's taking a lot of drugs right now uh, to trick her body into thinking it's pregnant. Um, we're having a great time. Um, Hey, let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll kind of get into what we're going to talk about. Jesus, uh, yeah, we do. We just love you so much, and we thank you that every time we uh, show up in, in um, God, in, in a group, that you, you promise that you always encounter us. And Father God, we just honor you. King Jesus, we honor you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you in right now. And I thank you that your presence is already here. But Lord, however you do, uh, we just ask that you increase your presence in each one of us right now. We want an encounter with you, Lord. I thank you for the ways that you have encountered each one of us. God, I thank you for the unique testimonies of every child of God in this house. 
And, uh, and Lord, we just, we just ask for more of you in our lives, whatever that looks like, Lord. We just open our hearts and our minds to receive you right now and ask for your spirit. Holy Spirit, just pour yourself out in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Um, so a, a couple weeks ago, Sasha was teaching uh, and she was, she was kind of piggybacking off of something that Brad said, and she started talking about the fear of the Lord, and I was sitting over yonder in the pew, and it, it just started sparking some stuff in my mind, and I felt like the, the Lord had kind of given me this word to share with everybody, but I, there wasn't like a good opportunity to do that. I know we have a, a lot of opportunities to come up and share. It felt like a longer word, and so when Brad said, hey man, you know, I'm going to be gone in July, would you like to, to teach one Sunday? I said, sure, man. I think that it, I found that this is easier when the Lord has given you a word in advance. <laughs> it's harder when God says, get up and say something. I'm not going to tell you what it is until later. Uh, and so I, I've kind of had this percolating and cooking um, for a few weeks now. Um, this thing about the, the fear of the Lord and encountering God. And uh, the fear of the Lord is not, uh, it's not something that we talk about a ton in the church because, you know, as, as God's, uh, you know, adopted children into God's family, we approach the throne with confidence, right? Uh, my, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Bible verses is 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that's what we are. And, and so we, we find ourselves in the position in history, post-Jesus, uh, that we're invited into God's family. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Each one of us is a temple, right? Our bodies are a temple for God, the manifest presence of God to live inside of every day. And, and so, and, and I don't know about you guys, how, how many of you have been believers for like a really long time? Like more than 10 years. You know, it's, it's pretty much everybody in the room, right? So um, I, I think when, when you follow the Lord for, for you know, a, a long time, you, you sort of start to forget what it's like to encounter God without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and I don't know about you guys, but when the, the first time that I encountered God, uh, it, was a, it was a terrifying experience. I was afraid. I've experienced other things too. We'll talk about that more. But the, the fear of the Lord is not something you have to explain to somebody who's seen the face of God, Right? Uh, the fear of the Lord, and so it's kind of cooking on this and 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 percolating on that. And um, so, so uh, a couple weeks ago, my uh, my grandmother passed away. We were gone out of town. She's um, amazing woman. Uh, she lived ninety years on this earth. Was married to my grandfather for for sixty nine years, and uh, just an incredible lady. Just really loved my my nanny um, and. Uh, just, just full. Their households full of love. Just blessed people. Always had an open spot at the dinner table. No matter what time, you know, we we would get to my my grandparents' house in Virginia. Uh, they would always get up and and make a meal or you know bring out sandwiches and um, just just a, a really incredible woman. And um, so we were there in her funeral. It was sad, but she, I mean, she's just a you know solid believer and um, just celebrating uh, her life. Uh, and, and thinking about her passing, when, when COVID started, I was a stay-at-home dad, and my kids were in this, like, bougie Christian private school, and uh, they were learning Latin, which was fine when they had a Latin teacher uh, that knew Latin, but when I became their teacher, I don't speak Latin, uh, surprisingly, um, and so 
uh, I just got really burned out really quick on, on going through these Latin flashcards. And uh, it got to the point, we, we realized we weren't going to send our, our kids back to the same school. And so, you know, they're in public school now. And so I was like, man, why are we doing this Latin stuff? God, can we just, can I stop? Can we stop this? And he was like, green light. I was like, cool, David, we're done with Latin. We're putting that up. Let's do something more meaningful. And I said, let's contact the oldest living relative we had. We were supposed to go see my grandparents and we canceled our trip for COVID. And I said, let's just call the oldest living person that we're related to that we know and let's just ask them some questions about their life. So 90 years is a long time to live. Uh, you know, I don't know what, what life was back in, in like 1910 or 1915, but it seems like it was a lot different than, than what my kids have, have grown up in. And so we came up with this questionnaire. We called my, my, um, my nanny, my papa up, and um, I think it's really cool that my kids have gotten to uh, make a relationship with my grandparents. So they get to hang out with my great-grandparents, and they still live in this, you know, little farm uh, up in Virginia, and it's just a it's just a really special place to me. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm just so thankful that my kids have gotten to be a part of that as well. And so we called up my my nanny, and we started asking her these questions. And uh, I, I just really wanted to know about you know sort of the spiritual heritage of our our family as well. And so I asked my nanny like, hey, like you know, I, I know that you've been a Christian for a long time, and like, what was that like for you? Like, when did you first encounter Jesus? She said. Um, I've always, I've always known that Jesus is real. And I was like, yeah, what, I mean, when did you become aware of that? She said, well, actually, when I was six years old, I got a really bad ear infection, and it, it, it spread and, and got in my brain, and, you know, the doctors at that time didn't know what was wrong, so I went to the hospital, and I was basically laying there, I was going to die at six years old. And she said, Jesus came to me in my hospital room, she woke up and Jesus was standing in the corner of the room and he said, it's okay, you're gonna live, you're healed. And she said, that from that point on, the infection went away, I was completely healed. And she said, look, I've never, I've never had a doubt that Jesus was real um, because of that encounter with God. And Man, it just hit me that, you know, when, when you encounter God, you don't need some, like, clever argument. You don't need to be convinced. Like, when you encounter the supernatural, that's all you need uh, to, to say, like, look, God is real. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote my, my life to, uh, to following him. And, and that's what she did at the funeral. Their pastor, this little Methodist church there in, in Big Stone Gap is the name of the town. And uh, he just gave this beautiful homily. Uh, and my, my grandmother, um, up until a few years back, uh, she had a stroke and wasn't able to anymore, but she would make the bread every week for communion. Um, and, and he just talked about how, uh, you know, when we encountered Jesus, the new covenant was inaugurated. It began uh, around the, the table, right? It ended at the cross. But Jesus invites us into the table, and my, my, my nanny made the bread to invite people in. So much of, of who my nanny and my papa are. Anyways, when you have an encounter, it changes everything, right? Your whole life shifts direction when you have an encounter with God. And, and that was true for me, too. When, uh, when I was young, I, I grew up in, in Paris up the road in Bourbon County, and we were involved in a, a great little church there, a little Methodist church. And 
uh, just really good people, you know. It's like a that, that good Methodist class system. We had like uh, amazing Sunday school classes, and uh, you know, I just learned a lot of really great stuff about the Bible and about who Jesus was. And you know, like if if I was on like a Bible debate team, I could just throw out answers like it was nobody's business, right? I just I, I knew a lot of stuff. But what I found when I got a little older, um, all that head knowledge wasn't enough to affect my actions or my heart. So I, I knew a lot of stuff about God. I knew all the answers, uh, but it, it hadn't changed my heart. And so I started getting with a bad crowd, started you know, partying and drinking and stuff. And um, my, uh, the one thing that I just always did, I just kept going to church though. And the, the folks were just so welcoming and loving. A lot of them knew that I was getting into trouble, would show up hungover or whatever on a Sunday. And they just kept loving uh, me and, and my friends anyways, and my older brother went off to college and became really involved in his campus ministry there, and he conspired, he conspired with my youth pastor uh, to take me on this um, spiritual retreat weekend called a chrysalis. Some of you guys might be familiar with like an Emmaus chrysalis stuff. It just, it's a, it's a weekend, it's kind of an intensive um, they just really provide an opportunity for you to encounter the Lord. Just all these different exercises and worship uh, moments. And so I eventually said yes. I was reluctant to do so. But my best friend, uh, who I was getting into a lot of trouble with, Chris, said he wanted to go. And so I was like, well, if Chris is going to go, I'll go too. But honestly, my, my heart was just really poor. Like my attitude was just, I'll just go and fake this like I'm faking everything else. It's not a big deal. And so we get there the first night, and they had like a worship thing, and, uh, and they, there's this, it's dark, uh, and it was really warm, it's like summertime, and we were in this pavilion, and somebody's speaking, and I just fell asleep, uh, just was out cold, it's kind of a thing I do, I just fall asleep in random places. Uh, and so I was, I was sleeping uh, my way through this conference, and um, I hear this like, I wake up, and there's this pounding of, of a hammer and nails and I just wake up you know and just just people go into town and I look up and people are walking up to this big wooden cross that's laying in the front of this pavilion and they're they're nailing with hammer and nails they're nailing these pieces of paper to the cross and I have no idea what's happening uh and I just I look over my friend Chris and I see he's like having a moment he's got this piece of paper in his hand and he goes up and so I just reach over grab a piece of paper and I follow him <laughs> and I go up to the cross and I guess what the instructions were we were supposed to like you know write down you know a sin or something and uh, nail it to the cross and it's just sort of a powerful moment um, where you recognize that you know Jesus really died the nails pierced his body uh, for you you know for your sin. And um, I, I, I mean, I really did not connect with that at all because I just like put a blank piece of paper up there. It wasn't a theological statement about how I didn't have sin. I just was asleep, you know. Uh, and so I, uh, we got done and I, I saw my friend Chris was, was crying. He had a tear in his eye. And so we were walking, we were leaving. I walked up to him and I said, Chris, what's, what's going on, man? You know, what's happening? And he just looked at me and went, shh. I was like, Okay. We walked back to where we were staying that night, and I went to brush my teeth, and I started trying to talk to him again. And I noticed everybody's being real quiet, and he's like, Too shh. It's like, oh, whatever. Uh, the next morning, we woke up, and we went to breakfast, and no one was talking. I just walked up to a group of people, and I'm a talker. You know, I like people. I walked up to a group of people that I know, and I was like, hey, guys, what are y'all doing? And everybody's like, shh. I'm like, dude, what is going on? I guess I had also missed 
the instruction that that night was supposed to be like a silent night of contemplation. Uh, and so they, at breakfast, they're like, hey, we can all break our silence. And I was like, oh, shoot. Uh, so I was, I was busy not caring uh, about what was happening in this thing. And later that, that same night, uh, same day, later that night, we're in a pavilion and um, we had done some worship and uh, the, the Holy Spirit started to move on me. And uh, I just felt the presence of the Lord like I had never felt before. And I, I got down on my knees and I was praying. There's a woman there who was going around and laying hands on people and praying for them. And so she, she came around and she put her hand on my back and I don't know what she said, uh, but she prayed and, and I instantly started having this vision. Um, and I was in uh, the throne room um, and I couldn't, like I couldn't, so if I opened my eyes in the natural, I was still, you know, like in this dark pavilion. But when I closed my eyes, I could see this thing like I was there. So it was in my mind's eye, but I, I saw the, the feet of God on the throne. I was kneeling before the throne. I saw God's feet. And it was very bright. And instantly, uh, the, the, first, the first feeling or emotion that I had was fear. And I was just afraid of what was happening. And, and that was accompanied with this feeling of like, I don't deserve to be here. Uh, I, don't, I shouldn't be here. Um, and, and I started thinking about a lot of the things that I had done in the last couple years. And, and all of these thoughts, all this stuff started coming at me really heavy. And I started weeping because I knew I was in front of a God that was holy and I was not. Uh, and, and that I actually deserved death. And, and so I was just I was laying in the floor weeping about that. And then a second sensation hit me. And it was like as, as if, if, I didn't hear this audibly, it was, as, 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 it was as if God said, you don't deserve to be here, but it doesn't matter. I love you anyways. And, and so that hit me in a different way. It wasn't fear, right? It was this acceptance coming from God that it's okay I love you anyways. And so that kind of wrecked me all in a different direction. And I laid there for, I don't know how long, but an hour or so, just sort of oscillating between these two things. I'm afraid to be here. I shouldn't be here before God. I'm going to die. It doesn't matter. I love you anyways. Back and forth like that. And, and I don't know what happened that night. Um, after some time, I, you know, I got up and, and the, the vision kind of ended I just know that from then on, my life took a completely different trajectory. Uh, I had an encounter, and, and it changed everything. And, and it was really cool. My, my best friend, Chris, he had a similar encounter. And, uh, like, we, we really started following the Lord. Uh, we had just a, a couple years of high school left. My, my parents actually became missionaries and went to, to Africa. And so I lived with Chris, my, my best friend, Chris, for the last couple years of of, um, of high school, but you know, we just like went, went about like making amends with people that we had hurt. We, <laughs> we did a lot of stuff that was weird. We like went to stores where we had stolen stuff and like called the manager and, and they'd come on like, Hey man, you just want to let you know, like we stole all these CDs and, uh, we want to see if we can make restitution. And the manager's like, what, you know, like, I don't know what to do with these two kids. Anyways, uh, from that point on, my, my life took a, a whole different uh, direction and trajectory because I had an encounter with God. I really don't know how to uh, explain my spirituality without saying, hey, look, there are just these moments in my life where the Lord stepped down and, and I encountered the supernatural and that changed everything for me. 
Uh, and, and when people are like, man, I just need advice, like how to overcome this sin or, or like, you know, how do I get closer to the Lord? I don't know what to tell people besides you just need to encounter God. You just need Jesus, right? You just need Jesus to show up. And so uh, I was cooking on this thing about the fear of the Lord. Uh, that's how I encountered God initially. But the fear was overcome with love. And I started thinking about this, um, this passage in Isaiah 6. Uh, and so we're going to go there now. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. I think maybe we, we got it up on the screen too. Um, so Isaiah chapter 6, um, prophet Isaiah, uh, this is like 700 years before Jesus, like 700-ish B.C., uh, and, and so what's happening in, in the, the kingdom, um, there, there was this period of civil war where the kingdom was divided into two, and so they had like two cultic sites, Judah and Jerusalem, and then they had the northern kingdom, and then Assyria, the nation of Assyria, wipes out the northern kingdom and takes all of the, the Jews captive and, and carries them off, and they stop from, you know, short of just marching down and wiping out Jerusalem, and so Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah is spared, right, but they're living in this precarious spot. They're in this like crossroads where all these great nations around them are, have to cross through Israel to go and fight these other nations. And so they're constantly in, in threat of, of being overrun, being overtaken, and being uh, captured. They have a series of kings. And, you know, if you read like Chronicles, uh, you know, like every chapter starts out, and then King Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Or he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like this is the king's would come along, and either they were good or they were bad, and depending on what was happening, either people turned their hearts to the Lord or they turned their hearts away from the Lord, right? Leadership matters. Um, so anyways, we start off in, in this chapter in Isaiah, we get like this little, you don't always get this in the prophets, but we get this little note that tells us when this is occurring, and it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. What's Interesting about King Uzziah, why, why did uh, the, the writer Isaiah feel like he needed to put that note in there? King Uzziah was a good king. He started off good. If you look at Second Chronicles, let's see what it is. Second Chronicles 26 says, king, king Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he was, you know, cooking along. He, man, he had like some vineyards planted, you know. He was growing the army. The army swelled to like 350,000 people and he gave them all spears and coats of chain mail, which if you're gonna try and go kill somebody else who's trying to kill you, I understand a spear and a coat of chain mail is a good thing to have, right? Like he's, he's protecting the land. He put some towers up in Jerusalem, fortified the walls, like things are cooking with King Uzziah. And then uh, the writer of Chronicles, it takes a turn and says, King Uzziah became swelled with pride. He became filled with pride. He's so successful, his pride got in the way. And he tries to go to the temple and burn incense. Now, who was allowed to be in the temple burning incense? The priest of which King Uzziah was not. He was not a Levitical priest, and he was not allowed to be in the temple. It's unclear why he got it in his head that this was a good idea uh, to go into the Holy of Holies and try and burn incense on the altar. But he's decided he's going to do it. And he's holding this flaming brazier. And it says 80, no, 70 priests were brave. <laughs> These 70 priests were brave. And they go in to confront the king. And I assume they're brave because the king could just have them all killed or whatever. And so they go in there like, Uzziah, uh, you can't do that, bro. Put that down. And he's like, no, 
I'm the king, I'm gonna burn this incense. And instantly, leprosy breaks out on his forehead. And uh, the, the writer of Chronicles goes on to say, the king had leprosy from that day forward. He never entered the temple again because he was unclean. He was never allowed to go participate in, in the cultic sacrifices at the temple again. Uh, and he lived his life in exile until he died. Um, pride got in the way. And so we start this chapter, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. So the king has just died from going into the temple, being in the presence of the Lord, and not being worthy of being there, right? He's just died. And the, the, the year that King Uzziah died, and I like how it just gets right into it. I saw Yahweh seated on a throne, high and exalted, the train of his robe filled the temple. So I don't know if he was like actually transported to the throne room in heaven, and maybe he was, or maybe this was a vision. It's not really clear. But whatever the case, uh, Isaiah is seeing, I think he's seeing with his eyes uh, God, Yahweh, seated, seated on the throne, right? And his, his robe, the train of his robe is so big that it, it fills the entire temple. And it says, above him were seraphs. I don't know what seraphs are, uh, I tried to do some reading last night to try and figure that out. Some people say that they're like winged serpents, which seems weird. Other people think they're just like more like, you know, angels. I don't know. But this, so the seraphim are there. Uh, there's these creatures flying around, right? And they've got six wings. The seraphs do. Two wings, they cover their face. Two wings, they cover their feet. And then two wings, they're just getting it done, flying around. This is how a seraph flies. It's more like... So seraphs are flying around. Isaiah's having this vision. And the, the seraphs are saying something. They're calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, and... You know, this, so we kind of taken this bit. Uh, this is where translation gets weird. Um, so in the original Hebrew language, the way that they would write these manuscripts, they would write out the letters, and there were no spaces between words, right? So they would start over here, actually, and go that way. There were no spaces between words. They would just fill up as much space on the page as they could, and there was no punctuation. And there was no, like, start, stop. And so if you were reading this, uh, you would have to know the Hebrew language very well. You would have to know where the words start and stop. They also didn't have vowels, um, vowel markings in the original Hebrew. Uh, and so you kind of get this big jumbled mess of stuff on the page. But one of the ways that writers in, in antiquity would emphasize something, they didn't have an exclamation point. Like if we wanted to emphasize something, right, we'd text somebody in all caps and be like, hey, Call me back, you know, all caps. Or we put an exclamation point by it, right? In antiquity, the way that they said, like, hey, this is something that's really important or something that's being proclaimed, they just write the word three times in a row, right? And so we've taken that and, you know, turned it into a song, like, holy, 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 you know, like, we sort of misinterpreted, I think, what's happening uh, in, in this vision that Isaiah is having, or in, in, in this experience here, he's saying these big seraphs are like floating around the room. They're not going, holy, oh. They're actually shouting to one another, holy, holy. 
and they're, they're, they're covering their faces because what they're experiencing is the manifest presence, the full presence of the, the weight of God's glory. And the only thing that they're able to do, the only thing they can say is, God is holy and his presence fills the whole earth, right? That's it, and they're, they're freaking out. I think these, these guys are just in God's presence and they're so overcome by what's happening in front of them, by, by the, the presence of, of God the Father, that they're just shouting this out. And it says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. This is not like a peaceful scene with angels fluttering around singing. This is like a, a terrifying vision that Isaiah is having. He thinks he's going to die. He thinks this is it. God's going to kill me right here because I, I'm not holy, right? And these giant angels are flopping around with six wings, and they're just screaming this stuff. Everything's shaking. And Isaiah answers, and he screams out, woe to me. Uh, that's not a phrase that we use a lot. Um, <laughs> we don't go around saying, whoa, whoa, uh, woe is me. But in the Hebrew, that's... Uh, like that's a, that's a phrase that was used at a funeral, right? When someone died, they would, they would cry out, woe to me, woe has fallen to me. Something really bad is happening. Isaiah is saying, I'm going to die, I am ruined. Uh, and that's a, like a, a play on words in the Hebrew. The, the, the word ruined there actually means silenced. I am silenced, my voice, I'm a prophet and my voice has been silenced because I am standing face to face with Yahweh Almighty. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh. My eyes have seen the king. And so what Isaiah is expecting is to be crushed, right? He's in the full presence of God, and he expects to be obliterated because he's, he's not holy, and God is. He expects to be wiped out. And then something unexpected happens to Isaiah it says, one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. What's the, what's the altar? Yeah, the place of sacrifice. The, the Hebrew word for altar actually means the place of slaughter. Uh, the altar was this like big table. In the temple, there were three altars. Uh, they had one out in the courts, and they had two in the, in the Holy of Holies. One of them was the altar of incense that Uzziah was trying to um, was trying to burn incense on. And so this altar is sitting in the throne room of God and this angel flies over to it and he grabs a coal and he brings it to Isaiah and he touches Isaiah's lips and he says, so with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. Something completely unexpected happens. Isaiah is met with, with the full presence of God and instantly overcome by fear. And then God says, no, it's okay. You don't deserve to be here, but you can be here anyways. Because why? Because of the altar, the place of atonement. Some, some neat stuff here I want to unpack, and then we'll kind of talk about um, what's practical about this, this stuff. Um, when, when you have an encounter, it changes everything for you, right? I immediately, 
once Isaiah's lips are touched and God says, Isaiah, your sin, your sin has been forgiven, you've been atoned for, what does he do? God says, uh, whom shall I send, right? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. What a turn, <laughs> what a turn. Isaiah's in the floor getting ready to die, thinking he's gonna die, and God says, Isaiah, you know what? You don't deserve to be here, but I'm gonna call you holy as well. I'm gonna atone for your sins. I'm gonna make you worthy. And what's Isaiah's response? He stands up and says, I'm gonna go, God, send me. And this is crazy. I think in the throne room, this probably happens all the time. God comes up with something that he wants to do, and he says, Who's, who am I gonna send? And an angel steps up and says, I'm an, I'm, a, I'm an angel, I'm a messenger angel. That's my function. You created me to carry your message. The, the word in Greek for angel actually means messenger, right? And so an angel is supposed to take that, that spot and say, I'll go. And, and what does Isaiah do? He's just, he's a man, right, in the throne room of God. And he stands up and says, don't send your angel, send me to carry your word. Dude, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's such a turn. When you have an encounter, you go from quivering in fear on the floor, afraid you're going to die, to standing up and saying, send me. It changes everything. It changes everything. You go from fear to love to mission, right? Fear to love to mission to being sent. What's the, what's the thing in the middle, though, that, that changes the whole scene for him? And, and it's the altar, Right? Isaiah encounters Jesus on the altar. And I know that from Isaiah's mind, he didn't see Jesus there. Uh, But but the altar is the place where the priest takes the the blood of the sacrifice and he sprinkles it on the day of atonement. The altar is the place where where the blood sacrifices are burned and the aroma of that sacrifice rises to heaven and God proclaims the sin of Israel has been forgiven every year, Right? And, and what, this is really neat. If you, if you want to flip to me in, in Hebrews uh, 13, you can. Um, flip over to Hebrews 13 or just listen to me. Read it. Um, the writer of Hebrews says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them. He's talking about sort of the cultic practices around um, Judaism in the day. And he says, he says a sentence, he says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to sit and eat. He's talking about the cultic worship that was still going on in, in Jerusalem in the temple when this was written, right? The, the Levitical priests are still carrying out sacrifices in the temple. And he says, look, we've got an altar. They have no right to come and sit at We have an altar that they don't belong to. He says, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. He's describing what happens on the day of atonement. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. So they would take the blood and sprinkle it on the altar, right? And then they would take the the bodies of the sacrifice out and and burn them to, to give out to the priests. And he says, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. You see what he's doing? He said, let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore 
For here we do not have an enduring city. We're looking for a city that is to come. For the writer of Hebrews, a lot of people think it was Paul. For the writer of Hebrews, this was a huge statement, right? Because it's a person who lived as a Jew their whole life, who believed that the only place you could worship God was this temple in Jerusalem. And he's saying, look, we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus is the high priest. He's the sacrifice. He's the lamb. He's the blood. And he's the altar, Everything that we need, we have found in Jesus, and his sacrifice was one time, once and for all. And that's all we need. And that's, that's what happens when we come to the throne now, right? We come to the front throne expecting death, but we encounter Jesus at the altar, who is the perfect altar, who is the perfect sacrifice, and we receive love in return. And so this is what's ha happened to Isaiah, right? He's walked up into the throne room somehow. He sees God. He expects to be destroyed. And he encounters Jesus on the altar. And then suddenly he's forgiven and he's being sent. Um, last, last point here and then we'll, we'll talk about kind of the, the practical takeaway of this and uh, wrap up. Um, yeah, I just, just want to say this, you know, um, we all come to, to the throne, right? We all come into the presence of God, and uh, it's, it's Jesus that, that qualifies each one of us. You have been qualified. Uh, you have been uh, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, uh, and, and he's sending, he is sending each one of us out. Um, I think that's what the, the, the Lord is, is saying today, uh, is that you have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Uh, and now God is saying, who, who shall I sin? Who shall I sin? We talked about this a second ago, but the, the practical part of this is difficult because um, basically like we just need to have uh, encounters with the Lord, right? Um, if, if encounter is what changes us, we, we need an encounter. Um, but I, I do think there's some, some practical things we can do that draw that draws a presence of God uh, to us. We can't force God to do things, right? He does what he wants when he wants. And a lot of times when we receive an encounter, it's at a very inconvenient time uh, or it's in a very unexpected way. Um, and so um, what's, what's the practical application to go have an encounter with God? The first thing I would say uh, is humility matters. The posture of your heart really matters. Uh, I was talking to the Lord about humility. He said, he said something to me. It was interesting. He said, humility is not a fruit of the Spirit. I thought, yeah, man, what's the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know that song? If you want to be an apple, you might as well hear it. And uh, I was like, yeah, you're right. God, the humility is not a fruit of your Spirit. What, what are you trying to say? And he said, humility is a precursor. Uh, to fruit. And so I, I started kind of ruminating on that. And I said, yeah, that's right. It's a, humility is, is an act of the will, right? Humility is our part. We lay down our lives in humility. Uh, and, then, and then God lifts us up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's not like a he might lift you up. That's like a, that's a spiritual principle, right? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And, and so there's this, this spiritual reality that if, if you can walk in humility and lay your life down, then God will come and, and lift you up and you'll have an encounter. Um, and the Lord said humility is the soil 
in which the fruit, the tree that bears the fruit of the spirit grows. Humility is the soil. If you got good soil, the, the, the tree will grow and it'll bear much fruit. It's like, that's, that's good stuff, God. Thank you. Um, posture yourself in humility and, and God will encounter you. Look at the two people in this story. You got King Uzziah, right, who postures himself how? With pride. He storms into the Holy of Holies and says, I'm going to light this incense because I'm awesome. And what happens to him? Leprosy and death, right? You've got Isaiah who is ushered into the throne room and he lays down and says, I'm going to die. I don't deserve to be here. And what happens? He's made holy. His sin is atoned for and he's sent out. Humility, the posture of your heart matters. It's the first thing. Second thing, have an expectation of the supernatural. Uh, I think a lot of you guys get this and, and understand this stuff, right? But we just walk around um, and our, our expectation of what God can or could do really frames whether or not we see what God is doing, right? And so if we expect God every day to break into our world and do something supernatural, uh, then God tends to do it. If, if we don't have that expectation, then I think God moves and we just sort of miss it left and right. Thirdly, uh, seek God. Seek God. Ask for an encounter. Uh, Matthew 7, 7. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. That's Jesus talking. For everyone, for everyone, Jesus said that. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks find, and uh, he who knocks, the door will be opened. Uh, that's another spiritual principle that Jesus has laid out. If you seek God, God will find you. If you seek God, you will find God. If you knock, God's going to open the door. Ask and seek. And then the last thing I would say about this, um, if you have an encounter, it changes everything. An encounter with God changes everything. And so practically, how can we... How can we um, seek out an encounter with God, I would say there's like this thing about stewardship, right? Every, every single person here has some history with the Lord. Every single person here has encountered God in, in some way, uh, big or small. Every single day we wake up, we have the opportunity to encounter God, right? And, and there's, there's something about taking those encounters and, and cherishing them. I, I love that the way, uh, you know, the, the Hebrew like sort of cultic system um, they had all these feasts and, and rituals that basically said, these are the times that God has encountered, we've encountered God and how it changed us, you know? Um, and and this, this whole concept of like uh, raising up an Ebenezer stone, like anytime God did something cool, they would like put a, you know, build a little marking. And then that way, every time they passed through that, that place, they would be like, oh yeah, that's the place where God did this, this miracle and we all lived. You know, my, my forefathers uh, had this thing that happened, and, and now I'm here following Yahweh because of it. And, and so there's this thing about stewardship with the encounters that God has given us. Steward them, right? Cherish them. Um, write them down. Put them on a calendar, and every, every year when that thing comes around, celebrate it like it's your birthday, celebrate it like it's, it's a momentous occasion. My uh, mother-in-law, my, my wife's mom, is, is really great at this. She has all of her kids' baptism dates written down, and she sends out, you know, two kind of happy birthdays a year, one on your birthday and then one on your, your birthday in Christ. And she's really good about celebrating these milestones. Um, I had an encounter with the Lord 
not, maybe I'll share some other time, but uh, when, when I, I came back from this conference, um, I, I had this key that the Lord had given me, and it's complicated, and, and I'll explain it some, sometime, but I had this key, and I went, and I got this little cross with Jesus on it, I put it on a chain, I actually, I don't have it on today, um, but uh, I just, every day, I put that thing on as a reminder of what the Lord said. It's a reminder of this cool encounter that I have with God, and it reminds me of who God says I am, right? Who God says I am in my identity. So that's the last thing. When, when you have an encounter with God, steward that encounter, celebrate it, um, and, and, and wait in expectation and anticipation of, of, of more encounters to come. Here's a cool thing. This last thing. We'll stand up and pray and, um, and go forth. Uh, one day, one day, we're all going to be standing in that throne room that Isaiah was standing in. We're all going to be standing before God. We're not going to be on the floor in fear because he's going to welcome us in as his chosen sons and daughters. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the goodness of God our Father who loves us, who loves us and accepts us. So I'm excited about that day, I'm excited to meet these seraphs and figure out what they're all about. I'm like a naturally investigative person. And so I just want to know what these seraphs are doing. Uh, so I can't wait till that day. Will you guys stand up and we'll pray. Yeah, uh, practically, can the worship team come up? Um, let's let's just put your hands out. This is our, this is the posture of receiving, right? Let's open our hands up and just receive what the Lord has for us. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you that we have the opportunity to encounter you any moment in any day, and big or small, Lord, we just celebrate you and what you're doing in our life. And so, Spirit, we ask you to fall on us right now in Jesus' name. And we thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that every time we gather, you always show up. You're such a good father, God. I thank you for the encounters that I have had. I thank you for the way that, that you have rescued me. I thank you for the ways that you rescued every person in this room. And you, you, you've changed our, our, our outlook from fear to love. You've given us your spirit, Lord. And now we just stand up and we say, here, here I am, Lord. I will go. And so, God, we just, I just ask, um, God, just uh, for you to speak clearly to each one of us. And each one of us have uh, a message. Each one of us have a story to share. Each one of us has a, has a mission field to, to walk into, just like Isaiah. And so, Lord, I just ask that you continue to speak to us, continue to download um, where you are sending us, Father. And we just say obediently, we will go. Here, here we are, Lord. We will go. And we love you so much. We just bless you. And we, we thank you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.